0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 1. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 1. We are finishing up this series of the life and ministry of David, or at least the first part of it. We're leading all the way up to where David is going to become the king. And this is the last message transitioning to it, that Saul, the king of Israel, has died. David receives the news, and then after this he's going to become the king. But this is the transition where David finally hears the news about Saul's death. And it's interesting how the news is relayed to him. Where we last left David. He was in the city of Ziklag. And he had just received his family back. And the families of his men. As they had been taken captive and kidnapped. And that David had been sore depressed. sorely distressed, he had to encourage himself in the Lord, they sought God, and God got them a great victory. Now as they recovered and they have their families back, they have a messenger come up and give them some interesting news. So if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 1. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Samuel, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. And it came to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent, and earth upon his head. And so it was, when he came to David, that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are also fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest that that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind me, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am a Malachite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him, and slew him, because I was sure he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord." Then David took a hold of his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even, for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thy hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them to teach the the children of Judah the use of the bow. And behold, it is written in the book of Jasser. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it (laughs) <laughs> not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the children of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And if in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Second Samuel, chapter number one? The book of Second Samuel, chapter number one. And notice with me at the end of verse four the phrase: Saul and Jonathan are dead. In 2 Samuel chapter number 1, verse 4, Saul and Jonathan are dead. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see this where David has received the news that Saul and Jonathan are dead. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, and thank you that we have the historical account of what occurred written down in truth, and that we could see exactly what happened as you were kind enough to have it recorded, and that we could also see the spiritual principle that you're getting across about the danger that we see here. I'm asking that it would be clear, that it would be understood, and that we could learn <laughs> what you are trying to teach us through your precious word at this time. Again, I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. Lord, I love you. And I just want to see you get your work accomplished. And I don't want to be in the way. So I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. And you do something great tonight to draw us closer to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we have something strange that comes on, a conflicting account. If you don't mind, let's start off with this idea here of the Amalekites account of Saul's death. The Amalekites account of Saul's death. Now three days after Saul had died, that David and, and his men were at Ziklag, and a man came who was an Amalekite. Now this should trigger something in your mind because the Amalekites were the the enemies of God and God's people that they had harassed God's people during the time of the Exodus and Moses and his people and that God had put a uh, curse upon them to say to wipe them out remember that he sent Saul now again this is where some of the ironies come out he sent Saul to the purpose of destroying them all but he disobeyed and many of them yet lived So Here is an Amalekite that was under the sentence of death, that was the enemy of God's people, and it was him that came up to give David the news. Again, the word Amalekite should trigger something because it was the Amalekites who had robbed Ziklag, David's hometown now, And had taken away David's wives and kids and the the family members of all of David's men. They had come back. That was the Amalekites. So again, these are the enemies of God. And it's the enemy of God that comes up to give David the news. Notice with me in verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. And David abode two days in Ziklag. And it came to pass that on the third day, that behold a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head and so it was when he came to David he fell to the earth and did obeisance now basically what he is doing is the man comes in and he has his uh Garments rent. Remember in the Old Testament, that was a public way of showing public shame. So if something horrible happened, in this case, Saul is dead. And so he approaches David very humbly. He's coming as a servant and saying, oh, you're King David. Uh, you're going to be King David. I'm nobody. He rips his clothes. He has, uh, bows down before David. He's showing him respect. And he says, I just want to be the person who tells you that Saul and Jonathan are dead. Now he's delivered the news. He's, he's delivered that. But then David says, by the way, how'd you come by this information? That's a good question. How do you know he's dead? Is this rumor? Uh, did you see the autopsy? I mean, how do you know? And this is where the Amalekite makes a very interesting life choice. He decides to lie. Now, in his mind, he knows that Saul and David are enemies. He knows that Saul, everyone knows that Saul's been after David. So in his mind, he calculates that if I can come out and show that I'm on David's side, David could hook me up. He's going to be the next king. He could hook me up. I could be someone, I could be rich. He could reward me. So he calculates in his mind to tell a lie. And let's see where this lie takes him. So David says, how'd you come by this news? He says, well, I'm glad you asked. He says, I came upon Saul. In fact, let's just see um, as he picks it up in verse 6. And the young man that told him said, as I happened by chance, I just happened to be walking in the middle of a battlefield, by the way, do 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 minding my own business. I happened to find in the middle of the woods on this mountain, there's Saul. Behold, Saul leaned against his spear. Now remember that what had happened historically is that Saul, had got hit by arrows and it was slowing him down and he was afraid that the Philistines were going to catch him. So what Saul decided to do was to take his own life. And what he did, because his armor bearer refused to kill him, that he put his spear, kind of put it on the ground on a rock or something, and he leaned up against it. And so the spear went through him. And so according to the count of the Amalekite is that Saul messed it up. That Saul didn't hit it just right and Saul's kind of stuck on it, but he can't move and he can't get off. And he's like, hey, dude, help me out. Can you kill me? I'm stuck. I I can't move. And the Amalekite says, sure, if that's what you want me to do, I have no, you know. (laughs) Verse number seven, and when he looked behind me, Saul looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me and I answered here I am. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am a Malachite. Now, again, he announces to Saul in his version of the story, Hey, I'm one of God's enemies. Do you think Saul, if he was alive, would say, Hey, you know what? You're the right person to kill me. When he just got through saying, You know what? I don't want the Philistines to touch me. They're God's enemies. But he's making up a story and he's going through. And Saul asked Am I a Malachite. And he said unto me, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him. So the Amalekite says in this version of his events, Saul's hanging there and says, Hey, dude, do me a solid. Probably didn't use the word dude back then, but hey, man, kill me. I can't do anything, so kill me. And he says, all right, if that's what you want. So the Amalekite stabs Saul and kills him. Then to prove that he's the guy who killed Saul, he takes his crown and takes the bracelet. Now, he does have a crown and a bracelet, and they were probably Saul's, but he probably found it after the fact, after Saul and his armor bearer. Remember, the armor bearer didn't um, die until he saw Saul dead. So the armor bearer probably wasn't waiting long and said, hey, you come here. The boss needs to die. Will you do it? Again, there's a lot of things wrong with the story, but we're bringing up to the idea that the guy's lying. But he's trying to tell it in such a way that he looks good and he's doing David a favor. He's the one who killed Saul. So David hears the news of what happens. So the first thing we see is the Amalekites uh, account of Saul's death. The second thing we're gonna see in here is the Amalekites reward for Saul's death. That's what the Amalekite wanted. He wanted a reward. So let's see the Amalekites reward for Saul's death. David hears the news and he rents his clothes and all of his mighty men rent their clothes and they begin to mourn and fast and pray for Saul. Saul was the king, he was the leader. Beyond that, they lost a battle. How did Saul die? Because they lost a battle. It wasn't just that Saul died. All of Israel is affected this day. The Philistines have beat them. They're run, running away. Many of them have perished this day. It was a horrible day of victory, the day that Saul died, the day that Jonathan died for the people of the Lord. So after supper and after they fast for a while, David calls the Amalekite and says, all right. He says, I want to to ask you again. Who are you? Oh, I'm an Amalekite. Okay. David says, I got another question for you. How come you wasn't scared to kill God's anointed? How dare you touch one of God's men? How dare you touch God anointed this guy and you are the one that killed God's anointed? The Amalekite probably paled at that time. He probably had his heart dumped to his throat. His stomach says, oops, you made a mistake. And surely he did. Because David goes to his young men and says, hey, by his own omission, you everyone heard you. He said he killed Saul. He touched God's anointed. He deserves to die. Kill him. And so they kill him and David reminds him, hey, this is punishment for what you told us by your own lips. You said you killed God's anointed. And this is the punishment you get for touching God's anointed. Probably not the way the Amalekite thought things would play out. He was hoping for a reward, and this was not the reward he was hoping to get. Now, for the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, what we see here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is that David... (laughs) David uh, laments and puts a song. Lamentation is a funeral dirge. And so he writes a song. uh, Mourning Saul and mourning Jonathan. And and goes through it. Very poetical language. Just again. uh, uh, Crying about Saul going away. But where I want to spend our time now. Is the results of lying. Because this is the whole basis here. Here is a man who came with a calculated plan that he was going to exaggerate the truth. Now, was there some true things there? Yes. Was Saul dead? Yes. Was Jonathan dead? Yes. Was Saul upon his spear? Yes. Did the man have a crown? Did he have Saul's bracelet? Did he pretty much rob the dead? Yes, he did. But what the man did is he lied, he told a story, he exaggerated, with the idea to make himself look better, saying that he killed Saul. And because of his lie, it caused a lot more problems for him than what he expected. Do you know that the Bible uh, deals quite a bit with the idea of lying? If you don't mind, let us spend the rest of our time here, and I'd like you to see what the Bible has to say concerning the idea of lying. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus in chapter number 20. The book of Exodus in chapter number 20. Remember Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so you have Genesis, Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 20, should be one of those chapters that you immediately know what we're talking about, Exodus 20 is what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And remember the preface of the Ten Commandments is right at the beginning where, and God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And he begins to start the list of the Ten Commandments. As we come to verse number 16, we could come to one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, commandment number nine, if you use that listing. And verse number 16, it says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, oftentimes we update the language to our vernacular or our common use, and we say, don't lie. But do you know that this phrasing actually has so much in it? Notice if you don't mind what the Bible says, verse 16, but thou shalt not bear. That word bear is an important word. The word bear means to look upon, to consider, to pay heed to, to listen to. So when it says thou shalt not bear false witness, you know what it's actually saying? Don't even listen or pay attention. Take heed to lies. You understand what it's saying? It's saying that if you receive lies, you're breaking this commandment. Not that you even told the lie, just you receiving the lie. You know what that does with gossip? If you take heed to gossip, Let's say that someone says, can you believe what pastor did? You're taking heed to gossip. You are breaking this commandment just by listening to it. That changes a lot of things, isn't it? It's not the idea of us saying the lie, which is in itself wrong. The Bible says, thou shall not bear, pay attention, take heed to, receive false witness. Notice as it goes on, this idea of false witness carries the idea of any dishonest version of events or any untrue statement. When we talk about lies, oftentimes we think about bold lies of things that are not even true. But the Bible actually covers a whole family of lies. One of them would be the word guile, that's found in the Bible. The word guile carries the idea of telling us a version of events where you Modify the details, either omitting or exaggerating something, to make you look good or someone else look bad. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in trouble? And you had to go talk to your principal, talk to your boss, talk to your parents. And before you go, you rehearse. What you're going to say in your mind. How am I going to say it? And you mull it over and you try to choose the words wisely and you try to figure it out for the purpose that when you talk to them, you don't look as bad or someone else looks worse. That is called guile. That is considered a lie in the Bible. Just a little bit of a tweaking of the truth or omitting something, an important detail that would make you look bad. That is considered lying here. False witness is any untrue version of the account. This includes exaggerations. This includes the idea of, of guile. It considers the idea of a little white lie. A little white lie is not pleasing to God. And yet, a lot of people think it's cute. Let me give an example. All right. In today's American, we have a mythology That if a child loses its tooth, that you could take that tooth and put it under their bed, a pillow. And guard it, keep it safe. And then some magical creature breaks into your house to go retrieve that tooth. And then depending on how good you are or how good the tooth is or however it works, they'll leave a quarter, a dollar, five dollars, twenty-five dollars. You know, depending on how rich the tooth fairy is that day. And later on, a child will learn hey, you know what? That wasn't true. Now, if you believe in the tooth fairy, I'm sorry, I just busted it for you, but you know. But a child one day is going to realize you know what? There's not a magical fairy that's coming in in the middle of the night. My parents lied to me. What else are they lying to me about? You know, you start to build up a thing of dishonesty what's true and what's not. But let's not take just man's perspective. Do you think God's up in heaven watching this saying, oh, that's cute? Not at all. Especially when he has a commandment that's very clear. Do not bear false witness. Don't bear false witness. Don't tell lies and don't receive lies. Don't listen to lies. Don't communicate anything of the truth. You know that every lie is a multiple sin? Think about that. When you lie, you're not just committing one sin. The motive behind the lie is a sin. For example, someone could tell a lie out of pride or arrogance. They're boasting. I caught a fish this big. Their motive is a sin as well as the false witness. Maybe it's perhaps pride and cowardice. Oh, uh, they make excuses. Well, the reason why I couldn't show up to church is because ah, there's a quarter milk in the fridge. Someone gave us a great excuse the other day that we never heard before. I don't remember what it was, but it was like Okay. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything, but the quarter of milk, some. someone knocked on the door and said, hey, can you go to Sunday school class? I can't because there's a quarter of milk in the fridge. What does that have to do with anything? He says, one excuse is as good as another, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. But you know, when someone tells excuse, it's because of cowardice, right? <laughs> Are you going to show up to the party? Well, you know, I might be busy that day. What day is it? Oh, I'm definitely busy that day. When instead they could have said too much of a coward to say, you know what, I don't want to go to your party. I mean, you could be tactful out of it, but don't people make lies and excuses? And it's because of the cowardice inside of them. Because of pride, we don't want people to think bad about us, so we make up an excuse. Well, did you read your Bible today? Well, I was too busy. I prayed all day. Not You know, they come up with an excuse because they don't want to admit that they were not where they were supposed to be or doing what they were supposed to be. That's pride and cowardice. Gossip carries the idea of hatred and jealousy. Now, let me define gossip because oftentimes it gets misdefined. I had a preacher kind of arguing with me until I defined it and he says, okay, you were right. But the idea of gossip is telling something to someone else who can't do anything about it. All right. So, if you tell an authority that can do something about it, that's not gossip, that's proper reporting. But if you tell someone sideways, like a coworker or a church member that cannot do anything about it, it is gossip. And you know, according to the Bible, the Bible equivalates gossip with murder. It's character assassination. You murder someone's reputation by gossip. Because you know what gossip does? When someone receives gossip, they now look at that other person differently and are less liable to trust them because of the information they have. It hurts them. Gossip is, (laughs) the Bible is death on gossip because it is lying. But again, gossip is done because of hatred or jealousy. There's some reason why someone decided to tell bad news about someone else. And that is a sin as well as the actual lie. Now you say, so what? What does this have to do? What are you bringing this to? I'm not just talking about the bad things, but we always give people hope. Why is this in the Bible anyways? Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number two, it says, "'I am the Lord thy God.'" Before each one of the Ten Commandments, you should have that listing, I am the Lord thy God. Let me give an example. As we run through this list, verse number 12, we'll jump right in the middle of it. "'I am the Lord thy God, honor thy father and thy mother.'" I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not kill. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not commit adultery. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not steal. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not bear false witness. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Why is it that we should not bear false witness? Because of who God is. Do you understand that each one of the Ten Commandments is a reflection Of who God is. You understand the Bible says don't commit adultery. Because God is always faithful. Mm -hmm. The Bible says thou shall not steal. Because God is able to provide everything we need. Why does the Bible say thou shall not bear false witness? Because God cannot and will not lie. May I show you that? Notice with me in the book of Titus. Titus chapter number 1. So what we're understanding here is the idea of lying is not good. We see the consequences of it with a man who thought he could kiss up to David, that he could earn David's favor, so he took credit for Saul's death even though he wasn't the one responsible for it. And what it ended up doing was causing death to him. Lying always leads to destruction. It always hurts other people. There's no such thing as a lie that's beneficial to someone else. Now, don't mistake uh, telling the truth with a lack of tact, okay? All right, you don't have to go tell everyone what you necessarily think. There's called discernment and tact and uh, stuff. But (laughs) there's a proper way of doing things that if you don't tell lies to people, if you don't exaggerate, that when you do say something that's important, they're more likely to believe you. But more importantly, it depends on the character of God. Notice with me in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You understand that we want to be a reflection of who God is. And we want to learn more about God. And we know that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. What does that mean? That means all of God's statements are perfect and true. All of God's statements are perfect and true. You know what that also means? God is never mistaken. You know, sometimes we don't try to lie and it's not considered a lie when we say something and then we don't have, we find out later we didn't have enough information on it. Now, sometimes we shouldn't speak then, but let's say that I told my kids that I wanted to take them to the park, okay? And then it comes up that an emergency happened and I had to go take care of them. Did I lie to my kids? No, I did not. I was just mistaken because I didn't have all the information at the time. Does it make sense? That wasn't lying. That I, I, I told them the truth, but I ended up getting more information later. Do you know that God's never mistaken because he always has all the information, When he says something, he doesn't have to retract later on and say, Oops, I'm sorry, I didn't know about this. I didn't know this was coming. God is never mistaken. So all of his statements are perfect and true. We know that God is never mistaken. We also means this, that when God says something, he means it deeply. So when God says he loves you, he means it. When God says you're accepted in the beloved, he means it. When God says he could provide for you, he means it. When God says he could give you comfort, he means it. Because God cannot lie. You understand when we lie, it goes against the character of God. It goes against who God is. This is one of the reasons why we shouldn't lie, because we should have a desire to be more and more like our Heavenly Father. And our God never lies. He never exaggerates. He never twists the truth. He never has to embellish. What he says is always true and trustworthy. And that should be the character that we have because of who our God is. That everything we say is always faithful and true. Knowing on the flip side of it, the whole idea of this story here is that lies lead to destruction. Lies lead to heartache. Lies lead to pain. If nothing else, lies lead to distrust from others. Lying is such a horrible thing. And it's something we have to be careful of because we live in a nation of liars. We live in a place where it is acceptable to lie. We live in a place where it's expected to lie. We live in a place where it's not trustworthy. You ever think we'd live in a place where if you made an agreement, remember there used to be such a time where you could shake someone's hand and someone's word was good. Now you have to have it on triplicate signed by a lawyer notarized and then still hope that they carry it through. People aren't trustworthy anymore. That should not be said of God's people. That when God's people say something that people should know, I believe them. They're going to carry it out. They're going to do what they said they're going to do. Because it should be a reflection of who our God is. If people watch us lie, they won't trust our God. Because we're the reflection of whom he is. Lies hurt people, even the small lies. Because it breaks a trust and breaks the reflection of who God is. The Bible says... I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not bear false witness. God cannot. five three zero six three oh eight once again that number is nine two zero five three oh six three oh eight if there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you please let us know we would love to make ourselves available thank you